Amen. Let's give the Lord one more praise. Hallelujah. Our scripture for this afternoon uh, will be coming from the book of Philippians. Um, For the sake of context, we'll be reading from the first chapter, starting at verse 27 through verses, uh, through chapter 2, verse 5. But our key uh, verses for this afternoon will be coming from Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once again, for the sake of context, we'll start at verse 27. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your translation may read differently, but we ask that you follow along nonetheless. Amen. Amen. And it reads as follows. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything but by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. The word of the Lord is blessed. As many of you can recognize and confirm, we live in a culture that's me first. Um, Listen to the conversations, look at the entertainment, listen to the music, go on social media, you'll see a a culture that is demanding its own thoughts, its own views, its own rights, its own opinions, its own desires, is demanding all of these things be placed at the top. It's all about getting what you want. It's all about building your brand, getting what you deserve. If you, uh, you gotta get yours, amen. And if you want to get ahead, you have to look out for yourself, numero uno, number one, because no one else is gonna do it for you, they say. But what's funny, as many of you know, I love superhero movies. I'm a big superhero guy. I'm a big science fiction guy. I love Star Wars, love Star Trek. And these are some of the biggest uh, genres that are out there in entertainment. 
And it's a multi-million dollar, billion dollar business. People spending their money to watch these movies, watch these shows, buy the action figures, et cetera, et cetera. But the weird thing is that these things that we find entertainment in, they promote the exact opposite. Hmm. In our superhero movies like The Avengers, we see people with immense power and capabilities looking to keep themselves out of the limelight, yet in times of trouble, they risk their lives to save humanity. You can look at it in the Star Wars movies. You see the, the Jedis, the Jedi Knights, the Jedi Masters. They look to maintain peace and, the, and unity in their universe against the powers of the dark side. And for many of you that are Star Trek geeks like myself, you remember that classic line from the Wrath of Khan, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So while we have a culture that champions self, we also see a yearning for unity, selflessness, that in its greatest celebration, it's viewed as fiction. And today, it's often easier to find a church that is more like that culture, divided, looking out for itself, inconsiderate of the needs of others. But when we look at the scripture, when we look at the word of God, we find that the church is consistently called to be a unit, unified, looking out for one another, tending to the needs of the community, tending to the needs of the body. When we look a little further in our word, we see that all, all of this comes from a savior whose earthly ministry was rooted and grounded upon unity, love, and humility. So as we look at our passage today, we will see that in order for the church to truly follow Jesus, to truly be like Christ, we need to have a Christ-like mindset. And if I may take for a subject on this afternoon, it is the Christ-like mindset. Let us pray. Precious and all-wise God, we give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. We thank you, precious Lord, for all that you've already done. We thank you, Lord, that we could come together and lift up your matchless name. We came together and worshiped you, Lord. We came together to give you the praises that are rightfully yours. And so now, Lord, we come to receive your word. Lord, you told us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need your word even now, Lord. As we see so much going on in the communities, as we see so much going on in the world, we recognize that even now, we need your word. So Lord, I praise on this afternoon, Lord, that as I stand, Lord, that I not declare my thoughts, my opinions, my wants, or my desires, but Lord, let nothing but your word be proclaimed on this afternoon. Lord, we're praying for your word of truth. We're praying for your word of mercy and grace. We're praying for your word of power and authority. We're praying, precious Lord, that your word will go forth. Lord, we continue to pray that everything that is done and said, that it be done in decency and in order, that all praise, all glory, and all honor will go unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. We give your name to praise, and we just thank you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, as many of you have, many have studied or heard, Philippi was a city in the Roman province of Macedonia. And it was a city that was very much like the city that we're in now. Uh, Philippi was a city of politics. It was a city of wealth. It was a city of clout. Because of this, historians note that the Philippians were known for having an air of superiority and pride amongst themselves. If you had wealth, if you had status, you were better than those who didn't. And then because it was a Roman product, province, there was a great degree of idol worship. There was a great degree of hedonism. Believe in what you want, do what you feel is good, think what you want to be right, and it's right. But you'll remember Paul received a vision in the book of Acts, 16th chapter. We call it the Macedonian call. He received a vision to come and preach the gospel. And because of the power of the gospel message, Philippi had the distinction of being the first European church planted by the apostle Paul. So now, by the time Paul wrote this letter around 62 AD, he was now in Roman imprisonment. Yet when he wrote this letter, he opened it up showing appreciation and support for the church, for their support of his ministry. And he knows how good God has been to them and how he will continue to do a great work in their midst. Paul writes in the first chapter that his hope is that uh, their love would continue for one another and that they would continue to grow in Christ Jesus. And if you look at and uh, study even more the first chapter, we see that even though Paul was writing this from imprisonment, Paul's faith, his joy in the Lord, neither one of these things were diminished. Rather, he writes to them that even though his situation seemed grim, the gospel should still be proclaimed. In Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, those who were imprisoning, who, have, who were charged with guarding over Paul in his imprisonment, verse 13 says that Christ had become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So we see that even though Paul was imprisoned, he used, God used those circumstances for the advancement of the gospel. God used that for his glory. So we can see that if God can use Paul's adversities for the advancement of the kingdom of God, that likewise God can use our adversities. He can use our trials. He can use our circumstances and situations for his glory. And through this bold witness, it said others were now preaching and sharing the gospel without fear. So we have this as a reminder that, guess what? Others are watching us. Mm. Others are watching the church. They're looking at our witness. They're looking how we act. They're looking how we conduct ourselves. They're looking how we respond and what we will say about God when we're going through circumstances and situations. So even in that, Paul reminds them that through our life, in good times, bad times, peace or struggle, that our lives now as believers are for the glory of God. We see this inferred in Philippians 1.21, a very familiar passage. Paul declared, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Paul is reminding the church that his life is no longer his own. So that all that he does, all his work, all his living, all his suffering, was that all that Christ would be glorified. But yet when he would leave this earth, he would gain. Because he would be in the presence of the Lord and Savior. No more toiling, no more suffering. Just being at peace with the true and living God. And it's with that that he reminds the church on how they should live among the world. How they should live in a manner worthy of Christ. He says in Philippians 1.27, the opening verse that we read, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He writes this to encourage the church to stay united. Even though they would face opposition, they would suffer at the hands of those who viewed the gospel message as a threat, that nevertheless they should stay together and stay unified. And when we come to the opening verse, the opening verse in uh, chapter 2, we see Paul calling the church to a time of reflection. He opens with a conditional statement, a challenging statement. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. These if statements look to encourage the Philippian church to reflect on their new lives in Christ. And this is something that we as believers can likewise do as we live and walk this Christian life as well. Ask yourself the question, is there any encouragement in Christ? Are you encouraged by following Jesus Christ? You see, it's an easy thing to answer when everything seems to be going our way. Job is going well, oh, I'm encouraged. Our bank account looks fat, oh, we're really encouraged. No problems socially, relationships are good. When we come together for fellowship, we're laughing and joking. Oh, I'm encouraged when all of these things seem to be going in that direction. But what about when things aren't going the way we want? What about the way, if things aren't going the way that we planned? Do we still find encouragement in Jesus Christ? Do we still see if there's any comfort from love? Is there any participation in the spirit? Is there affection and sympathy? Though it may not look like it on the outside, but for the believer, the answer should be a resounding yes. You see, we have, been, we have received and been transformed by the gospel message. We were born in sin and deserving of God's wrath, but because of the love of God, he sent his one and only son, Christ Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that those who believe can be free from judgment and receive eternal life. Church, that's reason for us to be encouraged. And yet we can continue on and we can see in God's word that he promised to never leave us or forsake us. That's reason for us to be encouraged. He promised to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, the paracletus, that, that, that he would walk alongside us and continue to reveal things unto us. That is a reason to be encouraged. It's a reason for us to be encouraged because we are in fellowship. We are in a union with Christ Jesus, 
the true and living God, the one that spoke the world, the universe, all that is created into existence, the one that breathes life into us. That is a reason to be encouraged. And yet we still have one another. We walk together. We work together. We fellowship together. We encourage one another. That is reason for us, church, to find encouragement in Christ Jesus. And then when you look at that passage, we see that in those three other following statements, that they are all encouragements to be in Christ Jesus. There's comfort from love in Christ. That's an encouragement. There's participation in the spirit in Christ. That is encouragement. And there is affection and sympathy in Christ Jesus. That's a reason for us to be encouraged. We say it every Sunday when we give our benediction. 2 Corinthians 13 4 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Colossians 3 and 12 tells us, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So it's not a question of if we have these benefits. The answer is we do have these benefits. You can imagine for a church that was receiving a letter from Paul from jail, the uncertainty that must be going through their mind. I don't know if, if many of you have received a prison letter. I have, I can say, and I didn't receive a letter like Paul's. Generally, a prison letter was like, I need this, send this. Or I'm scared, get me out of here, do what you can. I can't take it. But here, through all of this uncertainty, we see Paul writing a letter to encourage the church. So that all that they were hearing, all that they were witnessing, that, that they could ready themselves for a life to come in Jesus Christ. That yesterday they would endure suffering, yesterday they would endure persecution. But now we see that as they look at verse 1, that they could find that there is hope in Christ Jesus. That all that they go through is not for naught, but that they could find purpose and hope in Christ Jesus. So as we see that, as those that were reading this verse, they could attest that these conditions are true, that they are facts, that there is encouragement, that there is love, that there is sympathy, that there is affection, that there is participation in the spirit. So if all of these things are true, then the condition of the next verse should be fulfilled. Mm. Well, then what's the condition of the next verse? Verse two says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You see, here we have Paul calling to the church, calling for the church to unity. Paul is admonishing the church to complete his joy. He had encouraged them in the first chapter about how they were such a blessing to him. He encouraged them to grow in their faith and stand firm in trials and adversity. And all of those things are good. But now he encourages the church to not just stop and be content with that, but to continue on by walking together in unity. You see, the world is filled with people trying to accomplish things on their own. 
actually the mindset of the world is that if you want to get promoted, if you want to get, if you want to receive glory, if you want to get what you deserve, you need to prove that you can do things on your own, stand on your own, stand by your own, on your own two feet. But we, the church, we're blessed that we walk together. We are blessed that we have each other. The gospel message is not a message for lone rangers, but it's a message for community. It's not for our glory or recognition, but it's for the glory of Christ. That every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And for a church that's based in a city like Philippi, where status was a thing to be attained, this was a countercultural message. Like it is to us right now here in Washington, D.C. This is a countercultural message. But the message and work of the gospel is a group effort. It's not for our own promotion. It's not to promote ourselves but it's to promote the one who redeemed us. And that is such a blessing when you think about it. You see, when we're doing this work, we don't have to feel the weight of the world is all on us. But truly, he takes the weight, and then he gives us what we need, himself, and then he gives us more by giving us one another. So when we see that Paul is encouraging the church to unity, he gives four degrees of unity for us to build, build each other upon. The first is being of the same mind. We're united in thought. We're thinking the same way. And don't get nervous. It doesn't mean that we're in the brainwashing or we're, we're a cult or anything like that. We recognize that we're all separate individuals coming from different backgrounds, race, ethnicities and experiences yet we have come to agreement because of the gospel of Jesus Christ we agree that Jesus is God Amen. we agree that he has redeemed us and saved us from our sin we agree to serve him and not ourselves we agree to walk all in the same direction Amos 3 and 3 reminds us there's two walk together unless they have agreed to meet Romans 12 and 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Mm. And then he builds upon that first statement of walking with the same mind. And he builds upon that by saying, walking in the same or being of the same love. Mm. You see, we're united in our love. Because we're of the same mind, we should love the same way. We share common love for one another. It's not based on what one does or doesn't do. But our love for each, and our love for each other is not based on social groupings or cliques. Mm. But in, we don't allow our love to be informed what others may think about us or how they act around us. On, we love because we are God and God is love. Mm. The gospel message teaches us that even when we were at odds with God, doing and practicing what he hated, which was sin, that God still loved us and he is still loving us right now, even in spite of our failings. So we are to love one another in the same way. First John 4 and 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. First Peter 4 and 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Then Paul builds upon that and he says that we should be in full accord. In other words, we should be united in spirit. You see, because we're of the same mind and of the same love, our practice of that love is the same. We live in harmony. 
we have togetherness. We look to pray together. We look to worship together. We look to fellowship together. We look to evangelize together. We look to do life together. Why? Because we're united in spirit. We see this in the Acts Church, Acts 1, 14, said all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. We see it in Acts 2, chapter 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We see that in Acts 2, 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then he continues to build upon it. And he says, we should be of one mind. In other words, we're united in our purpose. In our practice, we shouldn't have hidden no self-agendas. But we have the same goal in mind. That goal is for Christ to be glorified. That, that, that goal is for Christ to be proclaimed. That goal is for souls to come to know that Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us that whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So when you consider the appeal in verse 1, we see that this appeal are direct results of those conditions being fulfilled. We are of the same mind because we have encouragement in Christ. We maintain the same love because we have found there is comfort in love. We are united in spirit and in full accord because we have fellowship and participation of the spirit. And we are united in our purpose because we know and we have recognized that true, and, and true affection and compassion comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Paul goes further, he now calls the church to humility. We see this in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is continuing to build on that by admonishing the church. He admonishes them to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, he's calling us to check our motives. Check your heart. If we're walking in unity with the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same purpose, there should be no room for self-agenda or self-promotion. James 3, 14, 16 says it plain like this. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Mm. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Mm. Self-ambition is counterproductive to ministry. It can cause disorder. It can cause disharmony. It harms. And conceit is just as bad. Mm. Proverbs 26 and 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we see self-ambition and conceit are at odds with the gospel message we live and proclaim because we recognize that the gospel message is not about us because in ourselves we are deserving of God's wrath. And apart from God, we can do nothing, as John 15, 5 reminds us. But it is all because of Christ we have received salvation. All because of Christ we're here now working for his glory. So we need to, as in the book of Haggai says, we need to consider our ways. Or some of you remember the, the song from Ice Cube and Doss Effects back in the day. It said, check yourself. 
before you wreck yourself. Yes, sir. But when we look at what Paul is calling us to do, this is truly a blessing. Because God has called each and every one of us out of our selfish ambition and conceit, which leads to destruction. And now he is calling us to humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. See, humility doesn't mean that we discount our own worth. It doesn't mean that we think everyone else is better than us. But rather, it's showing that we are, we are aligning ourselves with Christ. That we are aligning ourselves with his humility. Because humility is one of the qualities and characteristics of who Jesus Christ embodies. Mm. To quote one commentary, it says it like this. To be humble means to be conscious of our own weaknesses and inadequacies and quick to give credit to God and others for what we accomplish. In other words, to quote Psalm 124, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, where would we be? It is a part of that humility that drives us to live for Christ. Titus 3 and 5 says he saved us, not because of works done by, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, there's nothing we have done or could do to satisfy the need for a perfect sacrifice for our atonement. So Jesus gave himself as a propitiation for us, both satisfying the need for the perfect sacrifice and reconciling us back to him. So that recognition should stir up zeal to serve him even the more, serving him with humility by being a service to others. You see, once again, for a people living in a place that regarded status and fame as things to be attained, this message here was countercultural. It was at odds with what they believed and how they lived. Not only are we to humble ourselves, but we are to esteem others before ourselves and then do so without having any kind of agenda that's beneficial to us. You see, we need to practice Romans 12 and 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in honor. In a culture where status was priority, where uh, the tendency would be to look at others less than, but now we're looking at others as more than. See, this is such a key to our relationship with each other by how we treat and think of one another. See, even in our discipleship relationships, we need to recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace. We're not better than the person that we're discipling. And the men and women that we're discipling, they're not our projects to be paraded around so that we can boast and make, boast about ourselves and make ourselves feel better. But as someone led us to Christ and shepherded us to a better way and took the time to love us and to care for us in spiritual growth and our spiritual formation, we are likewise called to do the same thing. Not to make ourselves look better and fulfill better or not to make ourselves think that we're better than the next person, but to show the love that is in Jesus Christ. We do this because we need to recognize that we, that, that, that uh, our relationship with Christ and uh, tends to extend to not just with Jesus Christ, but to others. So that's why we look to lift up one another. That's why we look to build up one another. Because in all of these things, will the church be made complete? And likewise, we need to recognize that in our relationships with the unchurched, that we're not coming in as saviors. We're not conquering heroes. We're not coming in uh, to, to brag on social media, saying, look, 
Look at this, this dude right here. I took a picture of him. He was eating out the garbage, so I gave him a bag of groceries. Doesn't, isn't that a great thing that I did? Mm. We're not boasting about what we did while making others look small. Mm. But they are fellow image bearers who need Jesus Christ just as we need him even right now. So that doesn't mean that we don't care for our own well-being, but that just means that we continue to care for others because we recognize that others stand in need of God like we do. And then as we go a little further, we see Paul calling the church to Christian responsibility. He says in Philippians 2 and 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's our responsibility to care for one another. But that doesn't mean we should stop caring for ourselves. You know, we, we need to be good stewards over those things God has placed in our hands. We need to watch over the people that are close to us. We need to be responsible for our, for our health, for our bodies, for our spiritual well-being. We need to make sure we are caring for those things. But the word is teaching us that we're not to be consumed with our own interests. We have a responsibility to care for one another. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The beauty of all of that when you think about it is that when we are doing that, when we're actually looking to the needs of others, and we're all practicing these things, that we truly wouldn't be lacking for anything. If I'm not consumed with my own issues, but I'm tending for the needs of my brothers and sisters, and if my brothers and sisters are not consumed with their own issues, but they're tending to the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters, who they're doing life with, then we've all got everything covered. We're not bearing our burdens alone. Because the church as a whole is caring and loving one another. And so this is such a beautiful realization that should further encourage us in our walk with Christ. I was talking to some of our brothers, a few of them are here uh, right now throughout the weekend. One thing that came up in each conversation was the blessing it is to be in the body of Christ. Imagine the difficulty in facing our troubles and trials and issues without having hope in Christ. Imagine how troubling it would be to live a life where there is no hope. Imagine how it would be if we did not have Jesus Christ, but we had nothing but trials and circumstances. What would we do with our lives? But because we do have hope in Christ Jesus, we have hope in our trials. We have hope in our circumstances because we have God. We find that hope made evident in the care that we receive from one another. That is why it is such a beautiful and awesome thing to be a believer, to realize that not only do we have Christ Jesus, God, the one that spoke and created everything, we have one another. We find hope in all circumstances and situations so that we can live a life like Paul and say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So for those who have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, you can have this hope and this comfort as well. By turning away from your sins, repenting of your sins, and turning to Jesus Christ with saving faith. One thing I've reflected on as we've been together as a church body for over two years, I know that at some point many of us have looked and said, 
this is not what I thought it would be. We may have had different expectations of church planning. Many of us left larger congregations or congregations that at this time frame had much larger numbers than we do right now. And many of us have asked this question, why am I here? Or rather, why am I still here? We may have had our own ideas and our own ambitions. We have gifts, we have talents, we have ministries that we feel are not being used to our desire. But one thing I ask in all of your pondering, while you're pondering these things and you're wondering what your next steps may be, I just ask that you remember the words of Mordecai in Esther 4 and, 4, 4 and 14. Who knows whether you have not come to this place for such a time mm. as this. Come on, brother. You see what your brother and your sister may be going through. And you may not even have all the answers, and that's okay. Because it's God who will give you strength. It's God that will give you wisdom. It will God that will help you support and care for your brother. So you don't have to have all the solutions. You don't have to have all the, the, the answers, but you just need to be present. You need to be present with your brother and sister are, are going through. Be present to serve them. Be present to help them. Be present to love them and to encourage them and let them know that they are not alone. See, when we study these things and we looked at all of these things that 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 uh, made up verses one through four we find that all of these things make up the christ-like mindset and that is what paul is calling the church to do he's calling us to be like christ he says in philippians 2 and 5 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus you see, we have this mind, we have this mindset through the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also, prede he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then he goes down a little further in Romans 12 and 2 and says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the good will of God, what is good and perfect and acceptable. So through God's transforming power, the way we used to think, we shouldn't think anymore because the gospel message is working in us. It doesn't just mean to, it just doesn't stop at conversion, but the gospel message is continuing to have an effect in our lives. The gospel message will change the way we think so that we can find encouragement in situations and circumstances that might not be so encouraging. On, the gospel message is having an effect in our lives that we will look for unity and togetherness even when the world says we don't need anybody but ourselves. The gospel message will call us to recognize our own failings and our own insufficiency without Christ Jesus. The gospel message will, will make us recognize that it is only because of God's power, love, mercy and grace that we continue on right now Amen. we humble ourselves so christ may be exalted in that we look to serve and help and minister to others so that they may likewise experience the same hope love and salvation that we have found in the gospel message you see when you look at these postures that paul is encouraging the church to adhere to these are the very same postures we see in Christ Jesus that we find in the gospel message. We see Jesus, God the Son, in unity and harmony with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, 
having the same mind, the same love, in full accord and with the same purpose. We see them looking to redeem and reconcile and sustain those who believe all in unity, the triune God. We see Jesus showing his true love by not insisting on his own way. He's cried out in Luke 22 and 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't insist on his own way. But we see that Jesus was showing the ultimate act of humility. If you just look at a verse down in, in verse 6, it says that he was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, on submitting himself over to the ridicule and punishment to that which he created. He showed his true humility. He allowed his creation to convict him, even though he had done no wrong, and he allowed his creation to punish him to death by crucifixion. That takes humility. We see him looking out for the interest of those in need because we were dead in our sins. We deserve God's wrath, yet he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, even though he had no sin. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But yet he still didn't even stop there, because on the third day he rose from the grave with power over sin, power over death, and ensured that those who believe in him would have the gift of eternal life. If he stopped right there, church, that would have been enough. But he didn't. He says, I'll promise that I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And even though we may not see him, we don't see him in physical form. We know that we have him, one, because we have his spirit but also because we have each other. I have Christ in me. You have Christ in you. You have Christ in you. You have Christ in you. All of us have Christ in us. So we have Christ with us, not just in the spiritual form, but through, through each other. We can celebrate because we know we're not alone because we have one another to bear one another, to lift one another up, to encourage one another. So church, Christ is calling us to have this same mind mm. that we can find unity, that we can walk in unity, mm. that we can walk in humility, that we can deny ourselves and look out for one another. Mm. The only way for the church to truly flourish and prosper and grow and be that church that Jesus Christ has called us to be we need to continue to crucify our flesh. Mm. Allow the word of God to choke those things out. Mm. Our own desires, our own ambitions, our own cares. Cast our cares, cast our worries. Give those all things, get those things all to him. And then by the transforming power of the gospel, allow it to work in us. Mm. He says we could have this. He said we should have this. So it's, it's not something that 
that we have to wonder about. But the transforming power of the gospel gives us hope. It gives us the power to be unified. It gives us the power to humble ourselves. It gives us the power to serve one another. It gives us the power to have a Christ-like mindset. Let every heart pray. Precious and all-wise God, we just give your name to praise. The glory and the honor. Lord, we just thank you. All of the things, Lord, that we stand in need of, it's in you. Lord, in ourself and our flesh, we can't, we can't do anything great. We can't do anything worthy of your name. But it's all in you, Lord. Lord, right now, our, our, our flesh is calling us to appease ourselves, to ignore one another, Lord. But you're calling us to, to humble ourselves and to look to one another. Because, Lord, that's what you did for us over those thousands of years ago. That's what you did for us on the cross. And before we were even born or formed, Lord, you knew us. You knew where we would be. You knew what we would be going through. And you made a way, Lord, that we could find hope that would sustain us, hope that would keep us, hope that would give us life. So we pray, precious Lord, that we can continue to look to you, look to your word, and find that there is hope in you. And then help us, Lord, to be a blessing, to strengthen one another, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be unified. Help us, Lord, to glorify your name, Lord. Help us in all that we place our hands to do, Lord, to glorify your name. Lord, we prayed earlier, Lord, that many of us are going through different things. Some of us are going through grief. Some of us are going through heartache. Some of us are going through financial troubles. Some of us are going through sickness and ailments, Lord. Some of us are going through things that we don't even, we haven't even whispered to others, but you know, Lord. Some of us may be anxious. Some of us may be depressed. Some of us, Lord, may be contemplating even harming ourselves, Lord. But Lord, you know all of these things. And we're so grateful that you care. Lord, continue to let us know, let the church know, Lord, that we are not alone. Lord, that we have you, the author and finisher of our faith, and Lord, that you have given us each other. So help us, Lord, to be that church that takes on the mind of Christ so that you will be glorified, and so the world on the outside can see that is there hope in this world? There is hope in Christ Jesus and in nothing else. In Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground. Is sinking sand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.